The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech podcast feed. Ready for your weekly tech fix? Want to know how technology sets us free? Well, get ready because here it comes. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, entrepreneur and technophile Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now, here's Brian. That's right, pushing the limits of the unlimited. It is I, Brian Sovereign, here with you for another uh, regular edition of Sovereign Tech. Uh, if you're hearing this, you may have just heard the Dolphin Special. Um, haven't gotten any reviews yet on that. I don't know if people are thinking things through or what, but uh, but that is definitely a controversial episode, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, school's out on a lot of what that talked about, uh, at least for a lot of people, not for me. But anyway, um, let's get some opening notes done here. Um, I want to mention that on Google Plus, we uh, we actually we created what I called the Sovereign Tech Balnea. Now, what's a Balnea? Well, a, a Balnea is actually the name for a Roman bathhouse, which is where, you know, I mean, people kind of like went to something that was similar to a bar back then, but really were were the you know the effete and the elite always hung out was was in it was at a bathhouse you know men and women together doing whatever they did uh sometimes very wonderful things and uh you know having conversation enjoying culture and civilization as it is uh as wonderful as it was in rome so i i implore you you can find the sovereign tech balnea on google plus it is a google plus community it's not just a page it's an actual community where you can interact we've already got quite a few members on there um, uh, nothing really posted yet, but you know, I'm posting stuff, but that's okay. And you can find that if you go to the Sovereign Tech webpage, the Tumblr page, sovereigntech.tumblr.com, you can, uh, you'll find the, the link for that for, you know, you'll see the little G plus symbol over to the right on the right hand side of the page. And you can click on that and it'll take you right to the Balnea and you can join up. It's a public uh, forum. So, you know, you don't have to ask permission or anything, at least not right now. Maybe we'll get into doing something like that, but not really sure why. Um, also want to mention, of course, the Facebook page, which is getting some interaction. Uh, I've been posting a lot of, uh, a lot of things on there, a lot of stories throughout the week because sovereign tech is what I do. Um, this, this is what I do. This is what I, you know, this is my, my liberty activism, my anarchist activism that I enjoy doing. And, you know, I'm here for the fans. And so if I can uh, get you guys, you know, talking about stuff and thinking about things and, you know, I'm doing what I want to do and that's great. Um, I also want to mention as far as say now th that's a good way to connect with me and with the show, uh, you know, digitally, but if you want to connect with me for real, uh, I, I will be at the, the free state projects, New Hampshire Liberty forum. Uh, this is, will be at the, uh, the, uh, crown plaza in Nashua, New Hampshire. Uh, I think it's the, at the end of February. And I will be there for that. I mean, if you're listening to this, I'm fairly confident you're aware of what the Liberty Forum is. And, you know, if, say hi. Just come on up, say hi, strike a little conversation. Um, as I've said before, I, I'm naturally a bit introverted, but uh, but I can be quite the socialite if need be. So, yes, 
you know, come up and say hi to, to Brian Sovereign. And uh, I will be taking pictures. I may be doing a show from there, not a live show by any means, but I may be like doing interviews or something from there. But I will be grabbing pictures with people, and that'll all appear on the Sovereign Tech Tumblr page. And, you know, if you want to get a picture with me, hey, that's cool. Uh, and another thing, wow, we, we've got a lot to open up with. Uh, I will be, uh, th- this is, I'm, I'm very honored for this. There is also, like the Liberty Forum, um, but more, this is more of a direct thing. Uh, there is something coming up in the fall of 2013 called Keenvention, which, uh, you know, will be, as you can guess, is held in Keene, New Hampshire, which is uh, rightfully touted as the liber- northern capital of liberty. Uh, Lou Rockwell said that. And Keene is, uh, is a place that I call home. And yeah, you know, it's going to be, you know, a more, you, you know, you get things like Liberty Forum and, and, and the pork and pork fest and other, and like Libertopia and stuff like that. And you get people coming from all over the world and all that, but Keenvention is going to be a very personal, uh, and more direct because it's going to have like, um, you know, activists that are it, that are actually in New Hampshire there. Uh, they're not good. As far as I know, they're not bringing in any big guest speakers or anything, you know, from, from all over the country or the world. Uh, but it's just going to be people in New Hampshire, you know, doing activism, you know, with the free state project, early movers and things like that. And, uh, I'm actually going to be a speaker or I'm not, I'm sorry. I'm not, not a speaker. I'm actually going to be a, uh, I'm going to moderate a tech panel at Keenvention, uh, and I have you know great guests lined up for that. Uh, and we're going to talk about tech and you know what it's doing for for liberty activism in New Hampshire and how it can set you personally free. And I think it's going to be a great panel, and the whole event I think is going to be great. It's at the uh, it's going to be from November 1st to the 3rd, 2013. You can go to Keenvention.info. Um, or you can look up Keenvention, all one word on Facebook, and, and you'll find it there. And you can get tickets. I think it's like 50 bucks a ticket. And uh, like I said, it, l- it looks like a great event, uh, in my opinion. I'm very honored that uh, Ian Freeman um, asked me to to partake in it. And, uh, oh, and oddly enough, it will be at the Sovereign Hotel. Isn't it? <laughs> I know. What is causing all this, right? Anyway, no, the the name Sovereign, it's spelled like the, you know, like a sovereign citizen or something and has nothing to do with me. So, but just, just fortuitous happenstance. Um, anyway, so we got that. Uh, the other quick thing I wanted to talk about before we get into our, our first topic, um, is that I am planning on, and you can email me if you have ideas on what you want for this sort of thing, but I am going to start doing Sovereign Tech merchandise. Uh, I will definitely be doing t-shirts. I might be doing, um, like the, uh, you know, the silicon wristbands. I'm a big fan of those. Uh, I, I used to wear like four of them, you know, on one arm and then a watch on the other, you know, whatever. And of course I'd wear cutoff gloves, but anyway, uh, you know, all, all kinds of things. Maybe I'll do sweatshirts. Maybe I'll do hats. If there's anything in particular, any, you know, any of my listeners out there would are interested in, let me know. Um, but I've already got some designs in mind. And I'll be telling you more about that as, as the process comes into fruition. Um, but yeah, so just so you know, if, if you were wondering, is there any Sovereign Tech merchandise? There will be Sovereign Tech merchandise. I will be setting up a store most likely with Zazzle, Zazzle.com, uh, which releases great quality stuff. Uh, actually, the producer of the show and my 
uh, lovely and hyper-intelligent girlfriend, Stephanie Murphy, she did some pork therapy uh, merchandise, and I believe she used Zazzle, and it turned out really, really well. So most likely that's what I'll be doing. Anyway, just so you know, that's coming up. That's out there. And uh, let's get into the topics. Um, what I want to talk about, I don't actually have like a direct story that I'm going to link to for, for story of the week, but it's going to kind of be the topic of the week. And recently over the past month or so, I've been messing around with, now I mean, when it comes to computers, I'm, I'm a power user. And what I mean by I'm a power user is that I use computers like heavily. Like I have computers doing a million things at once. Uh, and it's running 24-7, you know, nonstop action as far as computers go. And because I'm a power user, I can, what I've been doing for the past month is I've been testing different operating systems to see, you know, where, where we are as far as operating systems go. Um, the one I'm not going to talk about is Mac OS X. OS X is great. Uh, I do have, I am trepidatious about the what they call sandbox where they want apps to be purchased through the app store. Not this isn't for iPads and iPhones. Those already do that, but this is for Macs themselves. And in that format, um, you can't actually, because they're, because you buy it through the Mac app store on your Macintosh, whatever that may be. Um, it creates a sandbox in that app store to where you can't actually access those applications like through the uh, through the um, file manager, okay. Like you can't go to a folder and find the app and then make you know edit the app somehow, uh, which is a very pop, which has been in the past a very popular thing to do. This is like how people download software, uh, you know, torrent software. You know that they, they download uh, like Photoshop or something, and then they like they can toss in their own executable files and and then it's cracked and they didn't have to actually pay for it if you get what i'm saying and apple's trying to kill that i don't like that because there's a lot of good genuine uses that come out of having access to application folders um but you you can as it stands right now you can still buy apps separately not through the mac app store and then you can still get around and they won't be within that sandbox environment but uh, but that's the only problem I have with Mac OS X. Otherwise, OS X is great. I mean, Mountain Lion, all they they just it's always a solid operating system. It's been a solid operating system since it came out. Uh, even like I remember using OS eight, and I thought OS eight, or particularly OS eight point five, was awesome. And they've just it's always been a solid update from there. So OS X, you know, I'm not going to really talk about much. But as far as other operating systems, I've been testing. I've been testing heavily Windows eight. And I'll, I guess I'll just start off with there. In Windows 8, it, there's nothing really wrong with it. Um, you know, nothing that stands out. Uh, it, it functions very well. It's very smooth. Uh, and I did put it on a machine. I put it on a computer, a laptop actually, that was not designed for Windows 8. So there's no touch here because, I mean, a lot of people, and we've talked about it before on this show, that touch is a big part of Windows 8. Um, so it's like, okay, let's see how well it works with just the mouse. Um, and, and there's things, you know, there's people that have claimed that it's not very intuitive to use. I thought it was pretty intuitive, uh, especially if, because here's the two points. One, if you've never used windows before, you're coming at it fresh and 
it's not meant to be like intuitive per se, or it's not meant to like remind you of, of previous Windows use, you know, uh, Windows operating systems. So you're, you're a fresh slate and you're like, okay, this is how that works. No big deal. And, you know, and then it, it's fine. Uh, as far as, you know, if you're like used to Windows, if you've been using Windows since like Windows XP or Windows 95 or something, um, even then it wasn't that bad. A lot of the commands are still the same. Uh, in fact, a lot of the nuts and bolts of it, like the control panel and everything, all look exactly like Windows 7. Um, there was, I think, personally, I think there was a greater learning curve between Windows XP and Windows Vista or slash 7. With Vista and 7 looked very much alike, just 7 enhanced Vista to where it actually ran well. Um, so so 8's not that bad. The only, the only thing I don't like about 8 is and and I, this is a common complaint is like the big like it has it has this opening screen with with the metro tiles you know like these little tiles that you're meant to touch but working with them with the mouse is, is just as easy and it doesn't like it just takes up your whole screen now if if i don't if i don't want to multitask i can just use my phone to do almost everything that you know any big computer of mine can do so it kind of defeats the purpose of the computer in my opinion like it defeats the purpose of having a very powerful machine when you're just doing one thing at a time i mean we we buy expensive computers we buy powerful computers to well for one you know to play exceptional video games um you know with high-end graphics that that blow away anything on consoles but we also buy it to, to be able to do a lot of stuff at once. You know, at least, I mean, that's how it is for power users. And power users are usually the ones that lay down the big dime, you know, to get these powerful machines. So it, I think it's counterintuitive to the purpose of the computer. And But here's the thing. Now, the caveat is, is that what, what do a lot of people say? Well, you need to go to Linux. Well, that's what I tested in the past month, too. I tested Ubuntu, Fedora... Um, uh, OpenSUSE and a bunch of others and you know what they all look like they're meant to work on netbooks netbooks are these like really really small like 10 inch or smaller screens uh, lap screened laptops uh, they're very popular I love netbooks I really do and now netbooks generally don't have the power to do a million things at once so to to create an operating system, you know, that that just does one thing at a time and to target it towards netbooks, which were very popular a few years ago, uh, isn't a bad idea. But then, you know, it, it doesn't make sense now because now, like, they have these ultra books out there that are very, very powerful, can do everything that most large machines can. Yet they're small and almost, if not smaller than some of the netbooks, uh, at least in thinness and weight. Uh, they're You know, they're lighter. Um, so to target that, I, I mean like they're behind they're way behind and that's very disappointing because i mean linux is is i love linux i really i believe me i love linux uh i love fedora particularly but to you know it, it creates there's just this whole mentality that that linux doesn't seem to want to get out of it, which is the idea of you know doing more than one thing at a time and like when you when you want to install a program on linux you're only installing one at a time. You know, I don't mind that you have to install from the terminal, meaning you have to like textually ask to install. It's not graphically done. Uh, well, it is on Ubuntu, but not on others. So, but it, it just, it's very, very weird. 
And here's here's kind of what I think is the hidden the hidden agenda of why computers are getting to the point where they can only do one thing at a time. And it's not because of a lack of power. I mean, and it's beautiful the way they do these things one at a time. It's not like they do things one at a time, you know, poorly. Uh, you know, these operating systems do it very well, be it Linux or Windows 8. But the hidden agenda is advertising. Everybody's copying Google. Uh, I mean, you know, that's not to say that, that Google has, uh, has some kind of monopoly on advertising, but they're, they're following their, their, their lead. And this advertising, you know, this is like why they're going to big buttons. Like even the new Ubuntu version 1210, which is, which is the latest one has an Amazon button. Or when you go to like, look, when you go to find not even, you're not going to install software when you're going to search through your software, the search bar on Ubuntu that lets you search for what's, what applications you have on your computer, it actually brings up ads for what you're looking for. If you don't have it so you can buy it and you can say that's convenient and I'm not saying it isn't, but let's keep it in mind that, you know, this is, this is where they're going and I think it's going to get pretty annoying. Windows 8 is the same is the same thing. The idea of these tiles, these huge tiles, is so that they can have they can have advertisements for things for you to buy. And they don't want any other distraction. They want you to see what they're offering and then they want you to see the advertisement for it all in the same shot. And and I'll admit I I don't like it. I'm paying enough. Now with Linux it makes some more sense because Linux is free. It doesn't cost you anything and you own it. But for like Windows 8 to do it is terribly annoying. Uh, because you already pay enough to even be able to use the Windows operating system. Remember, you never own Windows. You just you purchase a license to use it. Uh, and, you, you know, it reminds me, too, I saw a TV. I saw a TV where, uh, I think it was a Samsung television, where when when you went to change the volume, you know, an on-screen volume meter would appear, you know, up, down, or it shows numbers, whatever. Well, it would do that, and it looked nice, but then above the volume bar would appear an ad for, like, you know, Ford Focus or something. I like Ford, but what? What the hell is that? You know, I mean, that's just, it's get it's getting to the point where this stuff is just too pervasive. I don't mind that company, companies have, you know, are absolutely within their, their means and rights to, you know, do aggressive advertising or whatever. But this is just getting too much. Uh, It's really getting out of hand. I mean, when is, you know, I mean, a lot of these companies are in trouble because they're basing their yearly uh, earnings on the fact that you're going to buy a lot. And, you know, what if you don't want to? What if what you have is good enough? And so I want to, and speaking of what you have is good enough, I got to say this, Windows 7, Windows 7 has all the technology to last the next 30 years. It really does. Uh, in fact, interestingly enough, Windows 95 had all the right technology to last up until just today, you know, just to this year, when finally computers are getting more common where they actually have more, uh, more than four gigabytes of RAM. I mean, if there wasn't for, like, video games, nobody would need anything more than Windows 95 ever. Windows 95 had everything. Internet Explorer, you know, the whole list. So... Yeah. So think about that, you know, and, and we can send, you know, as consumers, we can send market signals to these companies. If, if you're tired of these ads, 
don't buy their stuff. Don't upgrade to the latest version of, of Ubuntu. Don't, uh, you know, or just start sending them emails. Let them know that, hey, look, you know, I'm all for you advertising, but this is just getting crazy. I'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with me, Brian Sovereign, the man who always wears triple black. Sovereign Tech is a show about science and technology and how it can set you free. Remember, Sovereign Tech only endorses businesses and products that we genuinely believe in and support ourselves. If you have a product or website that you would like to have reviewed, you can email the show at SovereignTech at Hush.ai. Please keep in mind that the reviews on Sovereign Tech pull no punches. Thanks for listening. Tech Roulette. Want to play? It is time for Tech Roulette. Brian Sovereign here with you. Always a pleasure. And Tech Roulette is where I choose a story that's been submitted to the show. And, you know, I, I do eeny, meeny, miny, mo and choose which one, which one I'm going to talk about. And this one, well, I got to get this out of the way first. I am not a conspiracy theorist. There may be time. Now, I am very well versed in conspiracy theories. I am exceptionally well versed in that. Uh, I am also exceptionally well versed in religion, pretty much every one. And so while I may have like grand knowledge of all these things, and while some of which I may entertain, please do not confuse and think that I'm some kind of Alex Jones person or like Gnostic media, whatever that stuff is. And you know that I, I have no part of that. And I totally disagree and regularly argue with these people, um, about, you know, about what, what they're pushing to their audience. Uh, but sometimes, I mean, you may wonder about me because you know, the reason these conspiracies exist is because there's grains of truth. But anyway, you know, as always, Sovereign Tech likes to, uh, you know, separate speculation from fact. And here is a apparently an interesting fact. I actually got this from uh, from uh, Daryl Perry, who is often on Free Talk Live, as am I, uh, as well as he runs FPP.cc, which you can check that out. And actually, they have some big book releases coming up uh, this month, I believe. And anyway, this story is European Space Agency indicates Mars's moon Phobos is hollow and artificial. Now, I mean, you know, you don't even have to, like, read the article. We can go into it a little bit. But the ta- the headline itself is is positively stunning. And, you know, th- this this article is pretty much from, you know, from December 2012. And so the Mars moon Phobos, let's give a little background on, on what Phobos is. Phobos, Mars has, the planet Mars, has two moons, one of them being Deimos and the other is Phobos. Phobos is this funny-looking potato-shaped moon. It is a very strange moon uh, in comparison to what we often commonly think of with moons. And it's, it's about the land size, like overall, is about the size of Delaware. So it'd be like driving around on Delaware. Speaking of driving around, one of its unique properties is that it seems to have like these road tracks, like almost like, like people were driving dune buggies across the thing, um, that are, that are all over it. And so 
you know, why did this just come out now about Phobos? Now, Phobos has been studied. Well, let's read a little bit of the article. How about that? Um, The prestigious European Space Agency has declared Phobos, the mysterious Martian moon, to be artificial. At least one third of it is hollow and its origin is not natural, but alien in nature. The ESA is Europe's counterpart to NASA. Could this revelation motivate NASA to release the secrets it's harboring? Okay, now this article is obviously already, like, launching into, okay, there's this big conspiracy and whatever. Um, And let's see, what did the ESA actually say? We report independent results from two subgroups of the Mars Express radio science team who independently analyzed Mars Express radio tracking data for the purpose of determining consistently the gravitational attraction of the moon Phobos on the mech spacecraft, and hence the mass of Phobos. New values for the gravitational parameter and density of Phobos provide meaningful new constraints on the corresponding range of the body's uh, porosity, provide a basis for improved uh, interpretation of the internal structure. We conclude that the interior of Phobos likely contains large voids. When applied to various hypotheses bearing on the origin of Phobos, these results are inconsistent with the proposition that Phobos is a captured uh, asteroid, states the ESA report. What they mean by that is that it's inconsistent with the idea that like somehow it it just like started, you know, at some point during the universe, during the solar system's formation, that it just naturally started circling Mars. So they're saying that Phobos somehow got reeled in unnaturally around a Martian orbit, around Mars orbit, Mars's orbit. And I mean, that's pretty shocking. You got to say that that's that's intense. Um, now the idea that it's hollow, I mean, all they said was that it has large voids, but I mean, that is pretty much saying that it's hollow. So a lot of people are speculating that this is kind of like, there's, uh, there is an episode of Star Trek, I believe it's called the world is hollow and I have touched the sky where an actually an entire alien race, uh, turned a, a asteroid into a spaceship and are, were, you know, traversing the universe in it. And so they're, I think they're trying to make a somewhat similar claim. Now, here's the funny thing, is this is not the first time Phobos has had claims of this. Uh, Russia has consistently claimed since, like, the 1960s, or maybe even the 50s, that Phobos was hollow, and that it was not, and that there's no way that it should be there. Um, we can get into more of the science about why that is, but... The interesting story that happens is that Russia did send in the 80s, 88 and 89, they sent uh, two probes to Mars, and and they're actually called Phobos 1 and Phobos 2, because they were going to study Phobos, probably based upon these, you know, Russian speculations from from the 50s. And Phobos 1, at one point, they just like lost, they lost contact with it, I think before it even got to Mars if I remember correctly, but Phobos 2, they did have contact. Phobos 2 did get to the, the actual moon Phobos. It took, uh, it, it took so many pictures. I think something like, uh, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 pictures, something like that. And these pictures or it was 38 images. Okay. Um, and they covered a a span of about 40 meters and you can go to Google images and you can type in Phobos two missile. And what you'll see is supposedly one of the pictures, not every pit, not all these 38 pictures have been released about Phobos, but one of these pictures shows this bullet shaped, almost like looking like a missile object heading towards, uh, Phobos two, the, you know, being shot 
from the from the astro- from the moon of Phobos to the spacecraft Phobos two, and then Phobos two is gone, like they lose contact in 1989, and we still don't have all the information about that. But that's a weird coincidence. You know what I mean? Again, I'm just presenting you with the facts. Your conclusions are your own. Because, I mean, there's people that say the same thing about our moon, that it's artificial. And, you know, I don't know what to make of that. There's a whole bunch of, like, odd facts about our moon. Uh, Like, you know, the moon has little or no heavy metals and it doesn't have a core. Uh, So some people think because, you know, because it may have no core that it it as well. Again, we're talking about our moon now is artificial. Um, You know. In, in fact, like like the Apollo lunar teams, you know, when they when they struck uh, the moon with like, a, you know, like putting a flag down or something like that, it actually supposedly they claimed that it rang like a bell. Uh, our moon is also it's one hundredth um, of the speed that the Earth turns on its axis. It's like perfect. I imagine th- there's a lot of religious groups that love this. But uh, and then the moon is also exactly 400 times smaller than the sun and precisely 400 times closer to the earth. So there's all these like perfect numbers. And that's why people think, oh, wait a minute. They're making the same claim with Phobos here that it was unnaturally, you know, dragged in or unnaturally put in place around the earth in the case of our moon. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm just presenting the facts. I, I don't. I don't know, uh, you know, what to make of all this, but it is very strange. And it is also strange that now, why would they let that one picture leak, you know, and not the other? I think they've released like maybe nine pictures, um, in the past 20 years from, from Phobos to, you know, pictures of the moon Phobos that we're talking about that is apparently of alien con- construct or of alien design or, you know, alien emplacement weird stuff but i'm just gonna leave it at that you're listening to brian sovereign i'll be right back with more sovereign tech are you ready i've never seen anyone so treated like a a god in my life brian sovereign as guest co-host tomorrow night and so that should be a good show on that note, uh, what we just we added t- Brian Sovereign. Okay, we haven't. Oh, he, is he, he good? He's been in the audience. He's, oh, yeah, he's certainly got opinions on things. Yes. I'm so close to being like God. No one is above me. Okay, absolutely no one. I don't take <laughs> orders from anybody. And uh, I mean that—that's how much closer to God can you get? Is there anything he doesn't do better than everyone else? Oh, that's just his way of talking. He's one of the best. Break it down. Catch Sovereign Tech, the show about technology and how it can set you free with me, Brian Sovereign. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N at SoundCloud.com slash Sovereign Tech. Wow. Wow. It's a website of the week. That's right, it is Website of the Week, and this is where I cover a website that I find particularly useful, or that I may think you find particularly useful. And, I mean, I've got a ton of these lined up, uh, so, you know, don't worry. These these uh, sections, that I, the structure that I do the show in, you know, can go on forever. Um, anyway, this week, I've got a site. This site is, if you're a music lover, 
and you may not want to pay for that music, or at least you want to taste it first in its entirety, as in like download an entire album, and if you love it, you want to go buy, buy it later, which I often do. Um, this site is the Holy Grail. I mean, I know what you're thinking. Well, I already go to Pirate Bay and I torrent this stuff. Yeah, but this is better in a, after a fashion. This is really a lot better. And what the name of the site is, it's newalbumreleases.net. And what makes this so great is it actually covers every release of an album that comes out every week, all the, you know, every day, all the time. Um, you know, primarily more on, on English speaking, you know, or, you know, like American and British albums, but you know, there's some Japanese there too, but any, you know, and, and things from like Europe all over the place. Cause Europe has like this incredible, uh, heavy metal scene, uh, as well as a pop scene that, you know, just doesn't still to this day, even with the internet does not get enough attention, um, in the United States. Unfortunately, uh, I feel very alone in a lot of the music I listen to. But anyway, newalbumreleases.net, and it's not a torrent site. It won't link you to torrents. It actually links you to services like Mediafire that are similar to Mediafire, where it's like a direct cloud download. Uh, you can pay for some of the services within this, but if you just if you're willing to wait like an hour for each, you know, like you have to wait an hour to download the next album after you download one, uh, you can you can do this totally for free. And the album art's there. It's got a really great, I mean, it, like every day it just shows you, okay, this is what's up. I mean, the, the design has a, or the website has a fantastic design. And it's a great way to listen in on some stuff and to learn about some stuff that you had no idea even existed. Uh, I was shocked because I keep, I, I mean, there's a lot of bands that I like and a lot of artists, and I keep a pretty close eye on them. And there were releases that happened that I just didn't know happened, and this website knew, and I easily got them from it you know, and, and check them out. And if I like them, you know, I would, I would generally buy them. I'm not saying, no, I'm not one of those guys that's like, well, if you like it, buy it. No, you don't have to do that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not advocating that, but I, I think, I mean, if you, if like, you know, the music really does something for you, you know, maybe, maybe throw the guy a few bucks. Uh, that's something like Radiohead did a few years ago. That's like, you know, here, you can have our album for free, or you can give us a couple bucks, or you can give us 20 bucks, whatever you feel like. And I think that's a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty good gauge, or a pretty good way of, of doing business as far as music goes in our new digital age. Uh, so yeah, newalbumreleases.net, I mean, you can, you can search forever, uh, just go to it, it's really sim- very, very uh, simply set up, and like I say, I mean, you just click on the album, and it comes up... Uh, it gives you multiple download links. It gives you the, the uh, you know, like the the album art that you can download right from it. Um, you can usually, it offers multiple formats too. Like if you're one of those guys that really likes FLAC files, which are lossless as in like the sound, even though it's compressed from what it would be on a CD, the sound file sounds mathematically the same as it, as it would on a CD as to where MP3s uh, are lossy. And they will, you know, some of the sound, uh, you know, there's some sound degradation involved when you compress things into, uh, you know, into an MP3. So there, there's also, there's multiple formats, file formats that they allow for, which is really, really great. And, you know, you can even find, like, when you look at, say, one of their new albums, at, at the bottom of the page, when you actually click on the album, it'll also say, okay, and we also have these albums by this, you know, this band or this artist. And just a just a top notch setup, and I don't know how this hasn't been taken down yet, 
probably because it doesn't actually host any of the files themselves, you know, and you have to go to external sources. Um, like, uh, there's a, there's a site called uploaded and then there's like rapid gator to, to get these things. But man, I mean, this is really, you'll spend days going through everything they've got here. Now, if you're looking for stuff that's like older, you know, if you're looking for like a great, uh, you know, like a classic Queensryche album, um, you know, like empire or, uh, rage for order, you're not going to find that here because it only covers like the past few years. But if you're looking for new releases, I mean, and it's in the name of the site, new album releases.net. I mean, this is the one, this is really, really it. And, and you, I guarantee you'll be impressed by what's here. I certainly was. And I mean, I'm a guy, you know, my music collection borders on a quarter million songs. I have, you know, I have like a two terabyte hard drive that barely holds my music collection right now as it is. And, you know, so for me to find things, in my opinion, uh, you know, this was really, really something and is a testament to how great this website is. So check it out, newalbumreleases.net. And, you know, if, if you really like it, let me know what you think. Uh, or if you if you find a caveat that I didn't mention because I didn't really think of any, you know, send me an email, sovereigntech at hush.ai. Or get involved at the Google Plus Sovereign Tech Bal- Balnea. This is Sovereign Tech. We'll be right back. third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon 5. All fighter squadrons launched. Return fire. Freedom! Watch Babylon 5. You can watch Babylon 5 and experience the greatest show in television history. See the entire series completely free by going to the wb.com slash shows slash Babylon 5. Software of the Week. It is time for Software of the Week, where we cover what I consider the best software out there for various reasons, be it if it's cross-platform, open source, or just does a really good job in whatever platform it happens to be on, be it Linux, Windows, or OS X, or Android, or iPhone, or iPad. Um, and this week, we'll, we'll kind of stick with the theme. We were talking about newalbumreleases.net in the last section, and we'll, we'll keep going with that. Okay, so you can't find the music you're looking for on newalbumreleases.net. Uh, well, here, here's what to do. You want to go to piratebay.se, as in Sweden, uh, piratebay.se, and there you'll get your little search bar, and you can start typing in whatever you, you want to type in Motley Crue, or you want to type in Kiss, the greatest band in history, you want to type in, uh, you know, Bon Jovi, whatever, um, you know, Michael Jackson, the greatest artist in history, you know, you can type that in and you could check it out. You could type in the Beatles. I don't know why you would, but you can type in Beatles and, you know, and then it'll give you the list of, uh, it'll give you what they call magnet links to, to download, you know, the, the albums that you want and the files that you want. And this can go beyond music. This can go for movies and whatever else. And I'm guessing if you're listening to this show, I'm probably preaching to the choir, quote unquote, but, you know, I just want to make sure that's clear. So anyway, you need a program that can actually receive those files. Okay. It's a peer to peer connection. 
So the first peer would be, you know, uh, connected to you through the through the website, like Pirate Bay. There's others, but Pirate Bay is really popular, and I support them. Um, but then you need to have a client, a, a, an application, a piece of software on your computer to, you know, be able to receive those files. And there's there's a few different ones to go with here, and that's why I want to do Software of the Week, and I, I want to list off what I consider now probably the best one. Um, the one, the really popular one, and in fact, you can get this to work like even on your Android phone, they have like a beta version for it, is uTorrent. And uTorrent is actually made, the, the BitTorrent protocol that allows you to do this, that allows this peer-to-peer -peer sharing, very similar to Bitcoin. Uh, BitTorrent, that's probably where the name comes from. Anyway, BitTorrent, the company, BitTorrent Inc., actually created uTorrent. So that's like the official client. Doesn't necessarily mean it's the best. In fact, in a recent upgrade uh, in, in December of 2012, suddenly they had like ads all over. And we already talked about ads. If you find those annoying, you know, you want to do something to get away from that. Also, uTorrent uh, is not is no longer really open source. Um, it is nice. uTorrent can be portable. I always talk about portableapps.com on on this show, which I use portable apps, you know, so that I can transfer use programs on any computer with a hard drive, a portable hard drive that I carry with me. And you can use uTorrent for that. Um, and uTorrent works on everything: Mac, Linux, you know, whatever. Like I said, even Android. Um, and then with Linux, particularly, there's one called Transmission, which is very, very basic and very efficient. It's really good at what it does. Only problem is it it's only for Linux. Like, they haven't released it for anything else. But if you have Linux, stick stick with, with uh, Transmission. It usually comes with every, every time you install Linux on a computer, Transmission's, like, already there because it's just such a wonderful, nice open source, very simple, beautiful, uh, and fast torrent program but if you're using anything else or even if you want to use this with linux because what i'm about to mention works with linux as well uh is qb qb torrent and this is totally open source in fact it was specifically designed to fill in the gap of where uTorrent was not open source anymore um and qb torrent you know like i said came in to, to fill in that that's that market signal came in to fill in that role and it works with Mac, it works with uh, Windows, uh, it also is portable, it works with portableapps.com, you know, I use this, this is the MyTorrent uh, client of choice, and it works with Linux too if you wanted to. Uh, does They do not have it for Android or iPhone or anything like that. As far as Android, there's a there's a program called ttorrent, and that that's, pro that's really good, even though you do have to pay for it. Uh, there's a free version, but then, but really, like, the pay version is ten times better. Um, you know, so, you, so as far as Android goes, you can use either like ttorrent or you can use, uh, uh, uTorrent, which is totally free. But anyway, qubit, qubit, torrent, um, or qubit torrent, I will link to this in the show notes so you can check it out. Originally it's, I forget exactly which version it's up to now, but in its first couple versions, it was that they released, um, even as beta, it was a little rough, like it didn't work with everything. Uh, you know, so if you've seen this before and you've used it and you're like, oh yeah, no, it, it didn't handle everything like on Pirate Bay or if you were using Demonoid at the time, like it, it just for some reason it would lock up uh, or it wouldn't actually download the files. All that is solved now. I think they're up to like version three now and they're, I mean, it's, it's smooth. It's very, very smooth. 
The only option I saw missing that I like that uTorrent has, uTorrent has a auto start where when whatever operating system boots up, uh, you know, it automatically starts downloading. This one does not have that as far as I could tell. I could have missed the checkbox, but I don't think so. Um, but this uh, Qubit Torrent is so fast, so, so fast. Uh, in fact, it's so fast, you know, if, if you don't tame it, as in like go into settings and choose how many downloads you want it to do at a time and everything, uh, it'll really, really clog up your internet. Um, I mean, wireless or whatever, it, it, it it's going to slow everything else down. Like my web browser, you know, if it, again, if I don't quote unquote tame it, you know, by limiting how many torrents it does at a time, which usually I let it do about three or four. Um, it'll, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just your internet. You're not going to do anything else but download. And maybe that's okay. Maybe that's what you want. And if you want that, this is, this is the, you know, this is the money shot right here because it is so fast and light and portable if you want it. It does it all and it works everywhere. Um, I love torrenting. You see, now, this is the thing with torrenting. People get into this kind of topic of, well, if you torrent everything, nobody makes any money. I agree. You know, I think if you like something, give them money, whatever that may be and however that may be. Uh, even the torrent site. I, I used to give Demonoid a monthly subscription of money because demonoid.me, which doesn't exist anymore, that's a story for another time, you know, was so good that I was like, here, please take my money. You know, you're saving me millions <laughs> at least. And, or, you know, millions is in like, not that I wouldn't buy like the music that I downloaded, but millions is in that if I found out I didn't like it, I didn't waste any money buying. And, so people get into that sort of thing, but, but torrenting is, is an efficient way to keep the internet going smoothly, even on a quote unquote legal level, as in like, say the Linux distributions we were talking about earlier, you have to download those and then burn them onto a CD or a USB drive, you know, to, to install Linux onto a computer that doesn't have Linux on it already. And to download those, it is way faster to torrent them, you know, to download them through torrent. And, you know, th that frees up, uh, you know, the servers of the, you know, the people that are offering the software. So Torrent's just a great thing. Legal, quote unquote, legal or not legal. I mean, in my opinion, just that's nonsense. That, that word means nothing to me. But anyway, you get my point. So Qubit Torrent, I'll link to it in the show notes. Check it out. It, it, it is really, it is a great, great piece of software. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Stop playing those video games! Uh, 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 just a minute, Mom. Game Talk. It is time for Game Talk, my favorite section of the show. And today we might do actually two stories. One of them is really short and the other is a bit longer. Um, and the first one we'll do, this is just kind of weird. Uh... And actually, listen. The one of my one of the listeners of the show, uh, Hammer, who has contributed in the past, 
he actually found this a while back and this is just very strange and what this is it's the world's oldest d20 is really really old now d20 is a 20-sided die you know it's 20-sided dice and it's often used today for role board like dungeons and dragons role-playing games board game role-playing games okay uh not like role-playing games like final fantasy on your playstation or xbox or whatever but um, role-playing games like that you lay out in front of you like then again the most popular is Dungeons and Dragons um, or there's like the White Wolf series you know Vampire the Masquerade uh, and, and things like that I have a few that I consider personal favorites including the Star Wars role-playing game which I don't think has yet to be matched um, as far as greatness goes or enjoyment goes for me and this is really something because you'll see the picture of it if you click on the link in the show notes I mean, it's a D20 die, you know, and now we're, we know through history, no matter what version of history you subscribe to, be it a religious one or, you know, more, uh, you know, one based on archaeological digs and everything, um, you know, more, more factual, uh, the, we, you know, we know that dice were important in the past, like any time in the Bible or Torah, when you, when they said they would cast their lots, they were talking about dice. So, and actually there's a lot of religious groups that consider dice satanic. Um, I know seventh day Adventists would be one of those that, that think that rolling dice is, is like gambling and it's satanic and it's like messing with God's order and whatever. Um, so, so anyway, we'll, we'll read the really quick shot here on this. And it's lots of gamers hold on to their dice for years and have collections that date back to grade school. All true. I still have mine from, I think it was like, I think it was like sixth grade when I, I spent like a hundred dollars on dice. I still have the little gray bag and I carry it with me everywhere I go. Yeah. I'm, I'm that kind of nerd anyway. Uh, but none of them are likely to have one as old as this D20. Uh, it was recently acquired by the Metropolitan Museum of Art and dates to the uh, Ptolemaic period between 304 and 30 CE. Uh, it actually says BC, but I, I like CE better. It was originally in the collection of Reverend Chauncey Murch, who got it sometime between 1883 and 1906 as a missionary in Egypt. Can you imagine breaking this out for your next game of D&D, you know, Dungeons and Dragons? I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And you know, here, here's the funny thing. Like what exactly was this used for? You know, granted, you know, it's in the collection of Reverend, it was in the collection of Reverend Chauncey Merch, uh, you know, whatever a Christian Reverend would have interest in this for, I don't know, but uh, yeah, I, I can't. You know, I'm trying to, I mean, you look at it, you can see the symbols on it. I mean, there's like a letter E and B and N and H, you know, and then there's like a triangle and all this stuff, but I'm just trying to figure like, what is this? Like, I, I remember people thought the D20 was incredibly unique. And like when the new version of, of Dungeons and Dragons that came out that started using the D20, what they call the D20 system based on a 20 sided die, like everybody's like, oh, wow, this is amazing. You know, like it was all new, but it's not new. It's thousands of years old and nobody knew it. And, you know, that, that lends itself to some interesting thoughts because particularly D&D &D has, has this reputation of, of, of being satanic. Um, like, because in the 70s, apparently people were taking it way too seriously. And actually, when their character dies, would die, they'd kill themselves. And, 
you know, so, but this, this lends admittedly, you know, some credibility to this idea that, that D and D, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons is pagan, you know, that, that it has some, some, some satanic or witchcraftery origins, you know, whatever you want to, however you want to lay that out, pick your label. Okay. I'm just using common ones. I don't mean those as specifics. And yeah, it's just very, very odd. And I'm just, you know, you look at it and, and you try and think back and you go, what, what were they doing with that? Were they playing D20 games back then? Um, but again, you know, I can, my own mind, I can't, I mean, now I'm an atheist. I mean, I, I'm a card carrying atheist. Really. I've got a card in my wallet that says atheist on it. And I got to admit that this makes a, an interesting case. And there's a lot, this isn't just the only thing that, that I see in culture, uh, be it modern or ancient that where I definitely see where a lot of these religious groups are coming from when they say, yeah, no, these things are this and this and this, it doesn't mean they're bad. Like, okay, so let's say this was, you know, pagan or satanic or was meant for evil purpose, you know, to cast terrible spells or to conjure demons or something in the real world. Uh, let's say it was for that, you know, and then you have modern day D and D players using it. I don't think that's e- I don't think that's evil. Okay. Let me, let me be clear on that. But boy, it is fascinating. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it lends some credence to the, this religious culture war that's, that's going on. And that's been going on for at least 6,000 years. Uh, yeah, just, just stunning. Um, I don't think we have enough time to get into the next article. So I think I'll just, I'll keep running with this. Yeah, I, I gotta, (laughs) send me an email at like sovereign tech at hush.ai and let me know what you think. I mean, give me theory and, and go, you can go wacky with your theory. I mean, just go, go, go balls out. That's fine. Um, because it, it is just a, just a strange piece of work. And I, I've searched the internet and nobody's like, you know, coming up with any theorizing. I mean, I don't know what theorizing you can really do, um, you know, off of a simple die, but, but that is, that is a legitimate D 20 dice, uh, die and and it the thing is over two thousand years old. Um, it makes me wonder. I mean, I I kind of subscribe to the idea that actually in in this time frame now this is around three hundred CE. Greece was still a, a bit of a big deal. You know, Rome hadn't really been been the, you know Rome was just coming into prominence. And you know, I I definitely subscribe to the idea that that we're we're still relearning. Even even after the the Enlightenment, you know, in the 16th, 17th centuries and before then, um, like like, you know, the Florentine Renaissance, which would be in like the 13th century, 14th century. um, We're still relearning a lot of stuff that humanity figured out a long, long time ago, you know, over 2000 years ago. Uh, I think we're still, you know, rediscovering ways of having fun. I mean, that's definitely happening. You know, now that now that, you know, this like cultural prudishness, I think, is starting to go away and I couldn't be happier about that. Um, Or at least it's trying to go away. (laughs) It's trying to get forced out. And, you know, so so I wonder, I mean, did they play D&D in Greece and in Rome? That's a big question, you know, and I mean, does it really matter? No, I suppose not. Does doesn't matter for much of anything. But, uh, but yeah, you know, and, and, 
the other question I ask is if someone had one of these, I mean, amazingly, this was in the possession of rev of a, of a, you know, a Christian reverend, but you know, at some point with this, because the idea that dice are evil, I mean, that goes back to Constantine the great, that lots were, were considered, considered evil and like tossing bones and everything. Cause the original dice were made out of bones. You know, I, I wonder if someone got killed, if someone was killed for this, for owning a D 20 die. And in fact, if they were, I recommend to every listener of Sovereign Tech to go to a local comic shop or hobby shop, find a D20 die, and put it like in your glove compartment in your car, or put it somewhere. I mean, that's that's some pretty awesome activism to do, to say, you know, you know what? This is nonsense that you're that that someone would get because I I bet it happened I bet because that's I mean that's what a lot of groups in the seventies, a lot of religious groups in the seventies were, you know, calling out for you know this stuff to be burned, and they were doing a veritable witch hunt because that they thought some of these kids were actually possessed by demons, and thus they wanted them you know gone or dead. And so I, I think a, a, if, if you want to be a, a touch of a rebel, maybe we should all go out and buy buy some D20 die. I have mine already, um, but I, I think that's great. And, and, and it's funny, too, that so many of these religious groups, you know, who claim um, some kind of ancestry to be at the first century CE. Uh, um, I'm, I'm sorry. Earlier I said CE for BC. It's BCE. Uh, anyway, so for 100 AD slash CE, um, if, if you, th- you know, in the first century, uh, you know, if, if they, they claim that ancestry to that, and yet they'll play Monopoly. When clearly, at least by the fourth century, or at least by, by the year 400 um, of, you know, of the common era, they they would have been proverbially burned at the stake or they would have been they would have been forced to stand on top of a giant pole and had rocks thrown at them uh depending where you were if you're in the byzantine or, or you know whichever area of of uh of civilization you happen to exist at that time um obviously i'm glad that's not happening anymore you know i think it's a good thing that religious groups are able to uh, play yahtzee today but yeah, I, I don't know. I I just I I think it's so funny um, how these you know and and what these groups will always say is like, well, it's progressive revelation, and you know or you know whatever. Or we just rediscovered you know that somehow dice were okay. I mean, c- come on, you know. And if you talk to them about it, they say it was like, well, what? I mean, it's just dice. They get it. They they've rationalized it, you know. But if their history is what they say it is. You know, 1,500 years ago, people were killed for having these things. And, you know, I, I mean, that's taking game talk in a pretty serious direction. But, you know, I'm just, I'm really, I, I am positively entranced by this 2,000, almost 2,500-year-old D20 die. Anyway, we'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. Are you searching for a mouth-watering, all-natural, sweet and sticky treat? 
What if I told you it was also made by a chef who believes in freedom, just like you? You're not dreaming. This is real. Head over to mandrik.com. That's M-A-N-D-R-I-K.com. There you'll find George's famous baklava in classic and dark chocolate flavors. Mm. To those with special health needs, George's famous baklava also has a treat for you. Golden delicious, low-carb, gluten-free almond cookies. Order with PayPal or Bitcoins. In just a few days, your sweet treats will await you right at your doorstep. One more time, that's M-A-N-D-R-I-K dot com for George's Famous Bacaba. Hacker Stories. It is time for Hacker Stories, where we talk about some of the true heroes in society, be they black hat, white hat, or gray hat, the hackers of the world, all around the world. And before I get into that, I do want to make a quick mention that um, we are working on getting on Stitcher. So if you like Stitcher, we I will post on Facebook, the Sovereign Tech Balnea, uh, on Google+, and at SovereignTech.tumblr.com, where you can connect with everything, including SoundCloud, Instagram, and you know a lot of other great services. Um, I will be posting when we are officially on Stitcher, but I just want you to know that that is coming. Um, and so let's let's go with hacker stories now i really i'd love to dedicate this entire episode but really i need to dedicate the entire show of sovereign tech to aaron swartz who unfortunately passed away um very recently and aaron schwartz you know was a hacker um he is popularly known for he helped develop reddit which is a insane insanely uh, popular, you know, social service, uh, you know, internet, like aggregated kind of, you know, brings the internet all together. And then there's a topic about something that was the whole point of Reddit is like, yeah, well, you know, there's, a, there's a little bit of something of everything on the internet. We can bring it all together. And then thus Reddit was born. And it, yeah, un- unfortunately he, he took his own life. He, he, he committed suicide. And there, I've, I haven't wanted to do this story right after it happened because it's been a few weeks since he committed suicide. But, you know, because I wanted a lot of information to get out there as to what exactly is going on. But now I've come to the conclusion that there's just so much, like, back and forth information that it's very difficult at the moment to make a whole lot of sense of it. So I will keep, you know, my listeners updated as to what is going on with the Aaron Swartz story. Uh, in any case, th- this this was a, a, a young man. He he died. He was, I mean, only in his late twenties when he took his own life here. Um, who did a who, who really? I mean, he put his money where his mouth is. Um, he was on trial. The reason that he committed suicide, or at least the the what people think is the reason, and his parents have made this claim, as well as lots of others, um, is that he was he was on trial for like taking uh you know he broke the the computer fraud and abuse act uh he was facing like uh like 30 years in prison and a million dollar million dollar fine um he was accused of like taking information like something like like three or four million academic journals from mit and there's debate as to whether like he had legal access to them 
So, you know, he wasn't actually doing anything illegal, and that's why there was going to be a legal battle. But there was a lot more than that. I mean, he this this guy did so much. He, you know, he creating Reddit, amongst other things, he, he made a pretty good chunk of change. A million dollars, I'm sure, wouldn't have been a problem for him to pay the fine for that. But definitely, the at least, they I think they said at least 30 years uh, that he was going to be facing in jail, at least, if not longer. And again, he, he was 26. Um, you know, that is, that's not living the jail system, you know, doesn't, it, it doesn't do anything for anybody. Sorry. It's very hard for me to, to bring the, you know, to, to really like express just how useless the prison system is. And, you know, it's supposed to be like that, that you get, um, rehabilitated, by spending time in prison, you get to think about the things you've done wrong and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But especially for, I mean, I, I can't picture this. I mean, maybe he was like an expert in Krav Maga and I don't know about it, but I mean, he would have been entering a relatively vicious, uh, you know, uh, unintentional or, or like forced society. Of course, it's intentional and it's intentional by society to throw these people into these groups. Uh, and that had to be positively positively terrifying unbelievable um so very tragic that this happened that he decided to take his own life because the you know again speculation because the government you know just just can't understand the nature of information can't understand human nature and it doesn't um i'd like to read jeffrey tucker did a what i consider a a fantastic write-up um on uh, Aaron Schwartz as a hero. And I mean, it, it reads kind of like an obituary to some degree, I suppose, but I think it's very important. It's very well written. And Jeffrey Tucker obviously is a very big deal in the anarchist and Liberty community. Um, and so here it is by Jeffrey Tucker, Aaron Swartz, hero and martyr. My apologies for the sad tone of this piece. I, I can't do this in Jeffrey Tucker's voice. The guy is so unique, but anyway, but a hero has fallen and we need to pay him tribute and make sure his death is not in vain. Every turning point in the history of civilization has its champions and its opponents. The opponents of the digital age are those who use the power of the state to keep the population in a state of ignorance, even though the technology is at hand to universalize knowledge through digital networks. The main weapon they use is known as intellectual property, even though the monopoly censorship they advocate has nothing to do with actual property. The champions of the digital age are doing the opposite, breaking down the limits and working to spread enlightenment enlightenment through peaceful means. They understand the astonishing power of computer networks to produce, reproduce, scale, and distribute unto infinity everything that can be rendered into digital form. Their work has set off the greatest migration in human history from the limits of the physical world to the unlimited possibilities embedded in global computer networks. One such champion, now a martyr for the cause of freedom, unfortunately, was Aaron Swartz. He was one of the brightest stars of his generation. The star took his own life in apparent frustration, depression, and fear over the ghastly hounding he was receiving from the U.S. Department of Justice. You might say that this David should have battled this Goliath to the death. But Aaron was only 26, a brilliant, kind, and sensitive young man whose passion was not war, but enlightenment. It was too much for him. Born in Chicago, he showed astonishing promise at an early age. He came of age as the internet opened to the world. He was winning prizes and meetings 
and meeting the greats at the uh, at MIT at the age of 13. At 14, he co-authored Really Simple Syndication, an innovative means of assembling and distributing web content that makes web browsing easy. He's talking about RSS at 14 years old. Aaron Swartz helped develop RSS, which is how, really, you're listening to me right now. Anyway, it powers the app economy, makes reader programs work, and enables the content to be mixed and remixed all over the digital universe. Aaron founded an Infogami, which later turned into Reddit, one of the web's most popular sites for information sharing and content generation. As with most of his projects, Reddit pushes aside the gatekeepers and puts the tools of creation in the hands of users. He then founded OpenLibrary.org on the same principle by devolving power to you and me and away from the big shots. We can create tools that serve humanity in unprecedented ways. To Aaron, the digital economy was not really about running the world through code and technology. It was about empowering people themselves with the ability to contribute to the building of ever greater technologies in the service of humanity. As much as he loved code, his true affections were for the human mind and the way technology enables it to take flight as never before. He could never understand why government was in resistance. He was like a person in the Renaissance, raised with the printing press, astonished at people who wanted to smash it. He was so convinced that digits were powered by human minds that he even put it to the test in seeking the real power behind Wikipedia. He refuted the supposition of even co-founder Jimmy Wales that it was a relatively small number of editors who were the main content providers. He demonstrated that the main providers were millions of users themselves, thereby upending even what the owners and experts had supposed. He was only 19 years old when he showed this. Aaron was facing a trial this coming April, with him on one side and the full power of the world's most heavily armed government on the other. The prosecution wanted him fined more than a million dollars and jailed for possibly 30-plus years. And what had he done? He hid a laptop in a closet at MIT and downloaded academic papers that were already available to millions around the world with the apparent attempt to make them available even more broadly. That's all he did. For this, he was charged with wire fraud and computer fraud, the database he tapped into is known as JSTOR. It is a global archive of academic papers published over the last 100 years in all fields and disciplines. It allows students to search, assemble, cite, and study in ways that could have been unimaginable a generation ago. Bibliographies that once took months to assemble now take seconds. Research once available to a tiny number is now available to students and faculty the world over. JSTOR is a mighty service, even a marvel, and there are good reasons to celebrate the company and its achievements. At the same time, there is something squirrely about the service. It is available only at super high subscription prices and allocated based on geographic IP addresses. If you are on a campus, you can get the goods. If you are not and you have no logins, you're out of luck. Outside the IP range, it's darkness. Remember, we are talking about scientific research that is mostly tax-funded and from which the authors themselves receive no royalty or payment of any kind. Moreover, the subscription system is made profitable not because of the forces of free enterprise, but because the payments are made largely by public universities also living off taxpayers. The whole thing smacks of a kind of an information feudalism. The scientists are the serfs. Those without access are cast out into the darkness. To its credit, uh, JSTOR never lifted a finger against Aaron. They knew of his downloads, but never pressed charges. In fact, JSTOR has responded to his activism by gradually moving toward a more open policy. MIT can't say the same, but the real villain here was the federal government. Stealing is stealing. 
sparked U.S. District Attorney Carmen Ortiz, whether you use a computer command or a crowbar, and whether you take documents, data, or dollars. Funny that they take dollars. Except for one thing, that is completely false. Crowbars hurt people. Stealing dollars takes from one person to give to another, but Aaron didn't take anything away from anyone. Ortiz might not understand this, but when you download something, it doesn't actually remove it from the original server. It makes an exact copy. It can do this with no limit. That's the whole power of digital media. The driving motivation in Aaron's mind was information liberation. We have the capacity right now in our times to create global libraries of all known things. What's stopping it is this antique institution known as copyright and outright government privilege for monopolistic producers who use the violence of the state to stop peaceful sharing of knowledge. Aaron was offended by such limits in, his t in times when they are wholly unnecessary and ceased un and cause unneeded human suffering. Aaron didn't choose the path of piracy and underground hacking to disable the feudalism. He wasn't even particularly exercised about copyright itself. What he favored was freedom, free speech in particular. He thought constructive alternatives. He sought constructive alternatives, which is why he was a great champion of Creative Commons, a system that uses existing copyright law, but allows writers and researchers to share their discoveries and creations with humanity instead of having them smothered. All that said, it wasn't his attempt to liberate JSTOR that caused the government to go after him. No, it was something far more specular. Aaron was also founded Common Dreams as a vehicle for digital activism. Much to the astonishment of nearly everyone, he marshaled the power of global networks last year to beat back one of the most deadly pieces of legislation to ever be proposed by Congress, the Stop Online Piracy Act, or SOPA. So he created a group called Common Dreams that took out SOPA. SOPA was at war with the whole idea of information sharing, which is to say the whole basis of modern economic life and cultural progress. It would have given the power to any private party to aggress against any distributor of information and to do so without warnings, bearings, or burdens of proof. Taken to its extreme, the legislation would have rolled back history to a pre-1995 state of being. Because no one told him that he could not, Aaron used every innovation to stop it. Within a matter of weeks, Congress backed off in absolute fear of the global outrage that had been engendered by the educational materials that Aaron had distributed. What no one expected had happened. Even politicians in the, in the pay of media moguls backed down. It was beautiful. In doing this, Aaron not only stopped the Leviathan state, he pointed to the possibility of something completely marvelous, a reinvention of the way that citizens take part in the political process. In other words, he was showing how computer networks themselves could be used to upend the power of the state as we know it. He was innovating a new form of restraining power and giving it back to people, doing for the business of civic affairs what he had already done with technology. The establishment was insanely bitter about the defeat. Within days, the government took action against the popular file-sharing site Mega Upload in a military-style hit against its founder's private estate, using SOPA-like powers that Congress had just denied the beast. It was as if the establishment was saying, we don't care about Aaron and what he did. We want this power. We are going to use this power. The people have nothing to do with it. Aaron's work pointed to a brighter future. The government never forgave him for this. This is why they hounded him. This is why they wanted to bankrupt him. Bankrupt him. This is why they wanted him behind bars. They wanted him brought low. They wanted him, him in an orange jumpsuit, eating old bread and groveling before the judges and wardens, and they would accept no compromise despite his lawyer's attempts to negotiate. Aaron must be captured and jailed. He would not relent. He would not give up his dreams and let them be shattered by their lies, pomps, black robes, and prisons. Our heartbreaks, 
deeply and profoundly at Aaron's decision to take his life. Maybe he saw it as a last cry for freedom. His having done so makes it impossible for them to make him a slave. The state has taken from us an epic genius and humanitarian. What can come of this? Sometimes the suffering and death of one great individual can shock society into dramatic change in a legal practice. Such people become martyrs, and their memories touch the conscience of everyone. We are overwhelmed by the sense of loss, and we vow to never see its like again. In quotes, the tyrant dies, and his rule is over. The martyr dies, and his rule begins. Soren Kierkegaard. And that's by Jeffrey Tucker. Powerful, absolutely powerful words. Because we did lose a hero. And I say we in the absolute broadest collectivist sense, that of humanity. He's gone. And he was pushed. I, I, I firmly, you know, no one can really say. His parents have made the claim that it's because of the government harassment unjustly. And the lack of understanding, the lack of empathy that he was receiving from people that are supposed to be his public servants, quite frankly. And he took his life at 26 years old in mid-January 2013. And I agree with Mr. Tucker that we should vow to never see its like again. That, you know, uh, in fact, this... this uh, this writing uh, mentioned Mega Upload. Uh, Mega's back up now. Mega Upload got shut down, but Mega's back up. We'll be talking about it in a future Sovereign Tech, you know, after we see how well it goes. Its servers are pretty pretty boggy right now because it's so popular. But uh, Kim.com, that's the name of the guy that, that put it together, uh, you know, that, that, that runs Mega. And, yeah, I, I, think, I think there needs to be some uproar if the governments ever go after him for this. For, you know, for similar things, the, 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 this copyright nonsense and whatever else, or the power to somehow rally the people outside of the purview of tyrants, the purview of governments. Um, it, it's it's powerful stuff, and it, and it takes some thinking about it. I will I will link to this to to Jeffrey Tucker's write up in the show notes. Um, I mean, you can very e- easily Google Aaron Swartz, and you can just find a, a load of information. As far as what's going on, they're they're really they're finding out new stuff every week, and I thought that this was a far greater statement to make than to lay out a bunch of facts. At least at the moment, if something big does come up, um, I might even do you know a sovereign tech special that day, that moment, you know, be it ten minutes long or whatever, to let you know about it, uh, just in case you know you don't have the the time or opportunity to to, to keep up with the news. So yeah, you know, p- powerful words and and. I mean, there, there's hackers. You look like Kevin Mitnick, who was in jail for decades. And, um, you know, these people haven't done anything. That's the whole point Jeffrey Tucker was making, is that no one stole anything because nothing left where it was. And ideas are not, they're not property. They're yours, but they're not property that can be protected by the gun. We'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. We'll lighten this up. This is Stephanie Murphy, Sovereign Tech Producer. 
You may know me from this show, but did you know that I have my own podcast? It's called Pork Therapy. Pork Therapy is a bit different from other shows. We cover current events, big ideas, and even relationship issues, all through the lens of how we can get more freedom in our lives. Oh, and you'll love Sex and Science Hour. Join me on my website, porktherapy.com. That's P-O-R-C therapy.com. Now back to Sovereign Tech. doing? I can't believe I caught you again. You know, Jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours. I know, baby. I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. Well, it ain't. But I've been doing it since I was 12 years old. It's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature, if you ask me. But baby, I don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites, new gadgets, video games, software, or any of that stuff. Well, Then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the Week. It is time for Pick of the Week where I get to pick anything and talk about it. Uh, It can be a website, piece of software, a book, a movie, TV show, soundtrack, CD of some kind, or album of some kind, I should say. Um, Or just a specific topic that I'd like to bring things up on. This week... Um, I've got kind of a rarity. I actually, I want to talk about a book more though than the book. I want to, I'd like to really talk about the author, but the book is kind of like the, the quintessential collection of of this author. Um, the author is Harlan Ellison and the book that I'm particular that I'm talking about is what's called the essential Ellison and it's a 50-year retrospective, revised and expanded. Now, this copy that I have um, of the Essential Ellison, I can link. I'll link to it in the show notes. I'll link to it on Amazon. And you're going to see that actually this book sells for about three hundred dollars. It didn't always. It's it's not, you know, it's it's an older, you know, it's it's not a it's not like a super old book that it should be worth that. But it's kind of rare. Um, there is what they call a, there is also a, a previous edition that came out. This one came out in like 2005. There's a previous edition that came out in 1991 called, um, the same thing, the essential Ellison, but it's only a 35 year retrospective. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have as many stories. Uh, and it's like three quarters of the size and that can be had for like 15 bucks, the, the 35 year one, but the 50 year retrospective, um, you know, that that's, that's pretty pretty priceless stuff you know 300 bucks for a book the only book i could think that compares in price to it um there's a very rare book by george sassoon called the mana machine i do not have a copy of this i have in my hand you can hear me flip the pages this is a massive book um of of the essential ellison and harlan ellison how to describe him i mean maybe you want to go to wikipedia there's also a documentary film that came out in 2007 called uh, dreams with sharp teeth that is all about harlan ellison it is a hilarious whether you know him personally or not it is a hilarious documentary if you know him personally it's even funnier and harlan ellison is an author he is one of the most published authors in the english language and he is also one of the most reprinted into other languages author, you know, in the English language. He gets reprinted into, like, all over the place, like, you know, 
uh, Deathbird Stories, one of his collections, gets reprinted in Cambodia. Or something. You know what I mean? He's all over the place. And he's been doing this for a very, very long time. Again, this is from 2005, and it's a 50-year retrospective. And Harlan Ellison, really, I've I've never encountered... He is a, These are science fiction, I suppose I should say that. These are science fiction. And I don't know that, unlike a lot... I mean, there's a lot of science fiction, and, and it'll get talked about on, on Sovereign Tech now and again, um, that, that really influenced the future of, of the world, you know, be it with various technologies or whatever... And Harlan Ellison, I don't know that there's any credit that we can give to him to where he, like, uh, you know, he kind of prophesied a future technology like guys like Isaac Asimov or someone or Arthur C. Clarke would. But he is probably the most human writer, the most emotional writer. And I don't he doesn't like the word science fiction. He likes speculative fiction, but it's, you know, don't tell him, but it's pretty much the same thing. And when you read it, you feel, uh, and that, and that's it. You, you feel, um, to his credit, he has, uh, like the, uh, the movie, the Terminator from the eighties with Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, the first one anyway, was actually admittedly like, you know, taken, um, was based on one of his one of Harlan Ellison's stories and that he created a big legal battle about it because he unfortunately Harlan really likes copyright which we were just talking about in the last segment uh, you know how preposterous and how destructive that can be but anyway we won't hold that against him just because of, of the the you know the raw amount of thinking that I think his stories have produced he's well known for editing the um, anthology a speculative fiction anthology called Dangerous Visions, which when it came out, you know, 30, 40 years ago, it had sex, it had black people, it had women in charge. I mean, it was really, really risque stuff. Very, very culturally, I mean, stuff that, that still, you know, would, would, would be considered um, very... Uh, very controversial to this day. And he got it out there and he said, no, we're going to make, you know, the most rebellious anthology in history. And he did, um, or he edited it and he helped it come into, into fruition. His own stories again, uh, constantly have the message. One of his most popular is repent. Harlequin said the TikTok man, which is a very, very popular story. Um, which is all about like, you know, um, time people get to the point where like they, you know, society is so based on like the clock that if you're late, eventually you get like minutes taken off of a clock on you and eventually you die if you're like late for work so many times. I mean, it's just this really, you know, far out story, but it, it's an interesting social expose, which a lot of his work is. And the message of his stories is to pay attention, to be a troublemaker and, you know, to just to be human to live, to not be a machine. And I mean, machine isn't heartless. You know, I'm all about transhumanism. Can't wait to have a machine body. Uh, but they are incredible stories and there's tons of them in this. If you can get your hands on this book, or if you just grab the 35 year one or grab anything by Harlan Ellison, because I guarantee no matter what you read by him, it's going to make you think at the very least, which is one of the most important things in my opinion. That's what I try to do with this show. 
And, you know, it does all, all the classic stuff, makes you laugh, makes you cry. Um, it, it's, he really is, I know no other author, just as an author, I know no other author like Harlan Ellison. No one else writes like him. When I write, I try to write like him. I can't do it. Uh, as far as a human being, I know very few human beings like him. He walked with Martin Luther King, uh, you know, in the civil rights march. He, um, you know, this, this guy here, dig this. Harlan Ellison was actually on Richard Nixon's and um, Ronald Reagan's uh, kind of like almost like a like an American hit list that we're kind of hearing about like that's real today. Well, back then they kind of had like these like list of dissenters to watch out for. Not that per se that they may have killed them, but he was one of the guys that the government really hated. I mean, they didn't like him at all because he called it how he saw it. And he held nothing back. To this day, he holds nothing back. He's practically 80. He holds nothing back. And there's a lot to learn from that, even though, I mean, sure, you know, he's not an anarchist. He's very much, you know, a socialist and whatever. But there, there's so much to grab out of his humanity and out of really the, the fun that he makes and the, the great point that he makes about the two things, paying attention to what's going on around you, paying attention and being a troublemaker because being somebody that, you know, just everywhere on time and, you know, doing everything by the book and walking on the sidewalk, it's pretty fucking boring. And you doesn't allow you, this is one of the things I always tell people and, you know, is to like, you know, get a new perspective on things. Always go for a different perspective. Try to see things in a new way. And he does that. And he preaches that message, too. Uh, he is an atheist. Credit to that. You know, it, actually, he was very influential in me becoming an atheist at a point in my life. When I was very young. And, yeah, check it out. The Essential Ellison. I'll link to it in the show notes. Everything you heard about today will link to in the show notes. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sovereign Tech. Always a pleasure to, to be here with you. We will have the we will have a, another special private space flight special coming out next week, and I'll see you then. This is Brian Sop. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at sovereigntech.tumblr.com. That's S O V R Y N Tech. .tumblr.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds. <laughs> <laughs>